Well, welcome everyone back to another Reimagining Cyber episode. Rob here, joined by Stan. And Stan, we're just coming off of our Thanksgiving break. I had a wonderful time spending with the family. Ate a little bit too much, of course, as always. Uh, how does yours go? It was different this year. We, uh, I, I, as, as you know, and others may not, but I moved, and so it was a different setting. But it was yeah. a, a very nice affair. As you say, we ate too much food. And <laughs> then, you know, you have the leftovers over the next few days. And then you're like, okay, that's enough of Thanksgiving food until next year, right? I don't know about you, but it's always the same with me. It's like, you really enjoy it, but after three days of eating the same thing, you are done. I think it's also why I only eat turkey once a year. So yeah, (laughs) you get sick of it over that three-day span in essence, right? So, hey, so I know that you were at a recent uh, conference. You had an Yeah, the Gartner conference, right? The Gartner conference, right, right. And, and, And you were telling me that you had a an interesting conversation. So why don't you kind of take us through it a little bit? So yeah, so I was speaking to a number of different customers, and this was a, an event that had a lot of CIOs. And I had an opportunity to speak to somebody about what they're doing for application security testing. Mm-hmm. And they're applying a, a, a single method, s- static. So we'll be throwing around some acronyms, right? But um, SAS, Static Application Security Testing. And they're doing that. And he seemed satisfied with just using that approach. And it mystified me because this day and age, I think most organizations see the value of of having multiple testing. Te- Do you remember the old Indian parable where a group of blind men sort of examined the elephant from different perspectives, and each one has a different, you know, fragment of the animal. Somebody has the tail. Somebody has the trunk. Somebody, and so they have different perspectives. And they have different answers as to what they're they're sensing, right? Because they don't realize it's the whole, it's an elephant, and it's sort of the same thing, same thing with testing. As far as you know, what it is that you're you're uh, evaluating, you have to do it in different ways. You know, that's a that's a great analogy, Stan. I never thought about that using that parable, but it's true, right? Because people do look at things kind of as individualized components or the elements that they're only responsible for and don't really consider and cases care, right. About these other um, components when they come all together, what the end solution is, right. And the security right. issues that that could actually bring forward. So that's a, that's a good way to kind of describe it. I mean, I, I think the broader picture of what we're trying to do is, is we're trying to ensure that the, in this case, the, the attack surface of your applications um, are not, more apt to be vulnerable and breached, right? And so if you look at that cost-benefit analysis of, of you know, do I put in the, the cost to actually put these measures in place into my software development lifecycle and ensure that I'm testing the, the applications uh, in the pipeline or not, you know, not even in the pipeline, in legacy, but they're running, right? Getting a, that handle on the elephant and having visibility into the risk, is it worth that expense versus the direct costs of a breach? Right. And, and you've right. you've done a lot of analysis, and I know you've done things with Ponemon Institute um, and looking at the cost of breach. I mean, it's not cheap. No, I mean, you, you think about that, right? Kind of the latest findings is the the average about just over $4 million, right? As, right. As, I think that's what the last, last the year was. The report was, right? And, and so, yeah, I, I think it, it's... 
it draws a really kind of interesting perspective, though. Maybe it's a good thing to kind of start for the audience in a, a simple comparison. And I know, you, you know, this this is an area you've done a lot of work in, but a simple comparison kind of how do you compare and contrast static yeah, so, versus dynamic, right? So, so let's do that. So, again, you know, there, there are two main approaches that people typically talk about, static application security testing, SAST. And dynamic application security testing or DAST. And at the top level, you can view it as static as being inside out analysis because you're looking at the source code and it's more of a white box testing technique as a result. And then dynamic testing is a black box or outside in kind of approach. You're, yeah. you're, you're, you're running tests on a running application and you know, you you in a in a static analysis, you do need to have that source code, and the the engine that you're running your static analysis with has to be able to be, you know, aware of that the framework or the language that you're running the test on for that that application source code, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas in the context of dynamic, you really don't have to worry about what it's written in. You're running on that you're running tests on that running application, and it. It doesn't necessarily need to have awareness of the language. Now, part of the challenge there is also when you're doing static code analysis, you know, you are able to get down to the line of code where you're finding that weakness or vulnerability, right? Yeah. Um, but whether or not that is actually exploitable is then the question. And sometimes that back and forth you have with the development team, mm-hmm. great, you found a buffer overflow, but is it, really accessible to somebody being able to do a trampoline attack or some kind of attack vector into that portion of the app that's, you know, instantially to that vulnerability. Whereas mm-hmm. in dynamic, you really don't have an argument. I've been able to exercise that app that's running and I actually have been able to demonstrate there is a SQL injection vulnerability. However, I may not be able to tell you where in the application and that line of code you'll find it. Right. And right. The, the other challenge with dynamic testing sometimes is that, hey, I, I can't necessarily, you know, crawl the entire application and scan the entire application. You know, so it, it that coverage question of did I really cover everything? Yeah. Um, there are advantages of then of doing both, you know, so if you can, you know, have a low false positive rate with dynamic scans, right? Mm-hmm. But high confidence of coverage for your static, and then you can blend the two, have a hybrid, that's really advantageous. And that really shows in the in the context around API testing of having yeah. the advantages of with your dynamic, you're able to crawl your app and discover the APIs that are, are being exercised and used. Um, but then in the static, you're actually able to do data flow analysis yeah. and find some types of attacks that could be exploited there. And I think, you, you know, you kind of, alluded to this too, it is that bit of um, comparison where with static, right, you are working much earlier in the development process to identify these security vulnerabilities. Whereas dynamic, it's obviously closer towards kind of that point of give me that stamp, let me know it's good because then it's going to go out and get released. So so it's getting earlier, you know, with static. Um, but again, it's, it's a fine balance that you're having to kind of, you know, manage as you're figuring out what makes the most sense for your particular program. Right. I mean, classic, Dynamic tests are typically run late lifecycle, like you said, yeah. and they're typically by the you know the the quality team or again the security team is validating 
uh, could be part of a pen test and part of this, uh, you know, some kind of discovery process uh, of, of just using uh, dynamic tests to be able to do that discovery to see what potential vulnerabilities are they could exploit in a pen test. Mm-hmm. But, and, and the other challenge has been historically, they take a long time. You know, if it's a very large application, it could take a long time to scan. The way the scanners are working now and the way you, you can also link it to functional tests, you can actually, though, shift some of these dynamic tests earlier in the life cycle. And so, you know, functional application security testing fast is something that's some you're, you're linking your dynamic test to a functional test script mm-hmm. and just scanning that portion of the code that is actually being tested for functionality as well. And you can integrate that in earlier in the life cycle. So that's something that's changing the the perception of where DAS can be used. And, and doesn't that lend well to this this kind of shift that we've been seeing where, you know, developers, do you want to have a little bit more control of that security kind of testing aspect too, right? The functional testing QA and all those elements have always been traditionally part of the dev QA environment. And then there's been this kind of application security testing team that has been separate. And sometimes, you know, it's, it, there's, there's friction there. Now, this brings it forward. It allowed them to actually, as developers, you know, and as they're coding, have the opportunity to identify where these security defects, if you will, are and fix them on the fly. So it'd be that much more efficient and then also making the security team happy at the same time, if you will. Yeah, I think I think one of the things that's happened in the last few years is in this um, recognition, we're no longer necessarily fighting the fight of you have to do security testing of your applications. Mm-hmm. That fight has been won. And, and the governance process in place many times is requiring the dev teams to do security testing. Yeah. yeah. But to your point, what they need to do is then figure out where in their DevOps workflows they integrate in this security testing and how do you reduce the friction to your developers, right? You, you want to do this in a way that allows them to get the results quickly in the tooling that they expect. And, and again, I think that balance of you know, velocity of dev with the need to ensure that you're, you're testing your applications thoroughly um, I, I think an, another analogy that we we had back in um, I think it was episode sixty four uh, with Dennis Hurst uh, with Saltworks. He was he was talking about the fact that again, when you're when you're testing other things, let's say an automobile, mm-hmm. um, you may for safety validate that your seatbelts and your airbags work. You also are going to be validating and have tests around the brake system to make sure the car is going to be able to stop within the expected parameters, right? Those tests aren't really questioned anymore. We we want them to be tested. We want to be able to drive a safe vehicle. And yet he still runs in, just like I did, into individuals that question why you need to have these other tests. And part of the reason you have that pushback is they don't want to necessarily add more friction to the development workflow and the CICD pipeline. If you can find a way to do that integration without adding that friction I think you you get the best of best of, best of both words worlds you, best you of both worlds. <laughs> you do for sure, and you know I remember that conversation vividly with with Dennis because it was a great analogy on kind of car safety, right? And mm-hmm. as you're manufacturing it and all the different safety checks. Recently, we talked to Tim Rubber as well, the former CSO of JetBlue, and he actually had a very similar analogy, you know, as it related to the airplane manufacturing and all the different, again, safety checks they have to go to. So I think it's it's drawing that that parallel as to, you know, looking at different kind of um, 
safety, you know, control mechanisms that need to be validated for many other things historically that we dealt with and how we can apply some of those kind of similarities into application security. Now, let's add another acronym into this discussion. SCA, right? So software composition analysis, you know, that really focuses in very heavily on open source components. And we're seeing, we've been seeing, right, for quite some time, the majority of an end solution, software solution, is what, 80 to 90% based off of open source components. You kind of at least, at, at least that, you know, they have open source components in them and, and them. it's going to be a high percentage, right? Right. And, and you have, you know, again, um, security checks based upon, right? What components are you actually allowed to use, right? So again, some more mature programs kind of have a, a good handle on this and saying, hey, the, these are the approved, quote unquote, open source components that you can, as a development team, leverage for enhancing or creating a new solution. But there's, again, that security aspect of it. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that side of it as well. Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at it from the the fact that when there's a, a zero day, like what happened with um, Log4j, yeah. a, 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 a library um, that was used for years, um, and, and then a researcher discovered that there was a flaw, and then within a month, uh, there was already exploits occurring around the world. You need to understand what components you have in your application so that you can react quickly and not spin your wheels thinking about or trying to determine where your exposure is in these different applications. You know, so the next zero day, you know, where is it? And then there's the aspect of malicious injection of software into your um, your software um, assets um, and into your code repositories, mm-hmm. and having the the visibility and the protections for those code repository and, and and different assets to ensure that they aren't being maliciously uh, messed with, you know. And so, you know, there's the, there's there are a number of things going on there as well as far as how you can protect these repos. Um, and putting in place in those controls, and and you mentioned licensing issues. That's another concern. You know, I, I, again, there could be all kinds of legal and financial repercussions if you use certain uh, open source uh, libraries or components that have licenses um, that ultimately would require you to make it open, or you know, um, it may not take you in directions that you want to. Um, and and so I think again. That's a, an aspect of, of 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 including enough of these testings to get the visibility you need to understand what your applications are consisting of, and also looking at the weaknesses uh, that open source can can uh, the weaknesses or vulnerabilities that open source software can introduce into your applications. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. So, so I think I hope you you convinced the individual that you had a conversation with that there is more to it than only SAS. I think as you covered now, right, there's there's a lot of pieces to this, but again, a robust application security program does encompass coverage as it relates to both the SAS for static, the DAS for dynamic, and the SEA side of it, again, software composition analysis that really covers the open source component to be very holistic. Everyone can kind of measure and just decide what makes the most sense for them. It's kind of, you know, the mixed bag of how they're going to be most secure, but it is that kind of trade-off, just like anything else, right? It's how much are you willing to invest 
to not be the next one of a breach with major ramifications from not only that cost of the breach from an impact again to what it may be to your end customers, but ongoing ramifications associated to brand impact and other things we've discussed many times in other episodes within our podcast, of course. So Stan, anything else you wanted to cover on this topic before you sign off today? No, I don't think so. I think they're, you know, as folks dig into this, they'll find out there are other types of testing. There's mobile application security testing. There's interactive application security testing or IAST. I think the overall point is look at what testing techniques make sense for your organization to get that visibility into the risk of your application layer. It's the classic case of spend a little now to actually understand what makes sense for your organization and test them thoroughly or you know, spend a lot later if mm-hmm. there's actual breach and exploit of your applications. Absolutely. Excellent discussion. I know this is a very, very important kind of aspect of your background and you're a big proponent. So I'm, I'm glad we had an opportunity to really get a little bit deeper and discuss it with, uh, with the audience today. So as always, Stan, it's a pleasure speaking with you until the next episode. And, and I hope, you know, you're, you're able to get some exercise in to, to work off some of those things. Well, I have to. Pounds. I have to. I have no, no, no choice at this point. The elastic pants have to change over to regular pants in a couple of days here. <laughs> Take care. Take care now. Hello, producer Ben here. Now, earlier on, you heard Stan mention a previous episode featuring Dennis Hurst, president of Saltwork Security and founding member of the Cloud Security Alliance. It was episode 64, and it's called What is Application Security Posture Management? Here's a taste. In every other discipline of engineering, that's a common concept. I mean, we test cars, well, you test the brakes and you test the safety belts. No one would ever say that a brake test replaces a safety belt test. That would be silly. But when you get into software, sometimes people go, oh, well, I ran one tool. Why do I need these other ones? Um, It's because you're testing different things. Maybe we do a disservice to our people that we work with of not clearly explaining that in understandable ways. You know, you can say software component analysis, which makes sense to developers and, you know, people in our industry. But if you're an executive, that may or may not make any sense. That was Dennis Hurst, founder and president of Saltwork Security and one of the founding members of the Cloud Security Alliance. Thanks for listening and goodbye.